two seconds off my record. <laughs> um, well, I, we're going to continue in 1 Corinthians tonight. Um, not, not my favorite subject. Um, we're going to talk about church discipline a little bit. Uh, Paul's going to deal with that. We know that he's been dealing with problems in the Corinthian church. We've seen through the first four chapters, kind of ended that last week, that this problem of disunity, um, separation of maybe group here and group there, um, not saying small groups are bad, but maybe that was the first start of small groups. I don't know. <laughs> and they, I'm of Paulus, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And there was division there, and that shouldn't be. Um, tonight, we're gonna, he's going to move on from there. We're going to deal with a, a specific problem in the church of um, a man. And so his, his dealings with that, we're going to try to cover all of chapter 5, which is just uh, 13 verses, but... There's a lot there, and I, I hope we can make some sense of that. Um, church discipline isn't isn't something that's handled a lot today. It's a it's a difficult thing. It is. Um, I was reading one commentator. One one reason why churches don't handle it a lot is because um, they can people just leave, and there's another church down the road. There's another body of believers, or they can get lost in a mega church and just be there and uh, kind of just um, be lost in that. You know, that said, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, we had a visitor out here, and I noticed somebody was greeting them and, and shaking their hand and introducing themselves and somebody else and somebody else, and then I was maybe fourth in line and shook their hand and greeted them and talked to them a little bit. And you know what they said to me? Boy, you can't get lost here. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's a very good thing. Um, we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 6. I read this this morning, and it just fits for tonight, too, in my Sunday school class. Um, Isaiah chapter 6. Because here's the standard. And I think of the Apostle Paul, and he has gotten sarcastic. He has called them to task a little bit. He said, do you want me to come with a rod or in mercy and, and gentle spirit? And um, he's not going to back off with this problem tonight. And I think of the Lord Jesus Christ walking into the temple and overturning the tables. He was zealous for the Lord's name, for the Lord's house, for the things that should be happening within that place. And I don't think the Apostle Paul was any less zealous for what he felt God's people that were called by his name, that had trusted Christ as their Savior, they had been changed. We've already read that in the first few chapters. They had received this thing that I had not seen and ear had not heard, the wonders and the glories that God had prepared for them. But it began with just the wisdom of God and receiving the call and understanding the truth of the gospel and saying kind of to themselves, What? Me? You love me? You want me to be a part of your family? And, and this change that should happen, Paul was zealous for, his, for the church of God, but for those people that he led to the Lord to live a life, well, we'll be here in a minute, 
That was according to their position. That God had justified them. We could read in in 1 Peter where he says that you've been bought with a precious price. Not with gold or not with silver. But you've been bought and paid for by my son's blood. And that makes a difference. And it should make a difference not just today. But for the rest of our lives. And we know that it'll make a difference for all of eternity. Paul was zealous for God's people to live God's way and to grow in their faith and to grow in their understanding and to grow in their sanctification and not only to grow within the body of believers, but to grow before the world, too. And we'll see that tonight. Isaiah chapter six in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him. Each having six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy is our God. Holy is the standard. Not man's standard, not man's wisdom. The holiness and the righteousness of God. And when Isaiah saw that, In that vision, that day, here's what he said. Well, first, and the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filled with smoke. Then then I said, Isaiah speaking here, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am not holy. I'm not even close. And I live amongst a people of unclean lips, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a sinful human being, and I live amongst a people who with unclean lips, who are sinful. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and he doesn't add this, but I'm sure he was thinking it, and he's holy. I've seen nothing like this before. And I'm in trouble here. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal, In his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. I bet Isaiah never forgot that vision. And I hope that we never, as believers, from the day that we first were enlightened by the spirit that quickened us to life. That day that we understood the gospel and how much trouble we were in, we were headed for hell. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, when God brought understanding and not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom from heaven to our hearts and to bear on our lives, we were changed that day forever. If we've truly believed And it just began there. It wasn't a one-time deal and then we go on and live. So many times in our world today, we we separate the secular from the divine. And we say, "We're, we're in church and this is a holy place and this is divine. We are God's children every second of every day for the rest of our lives. And we should live that way. And Paul was zealous that people would understand that and live that way. And anyone that claimed to be a Christian and defamed the name of Christ and defamed the church of God, he would call them to task. 
Not to beat on them. Not to hurt them. But to call them back to his side and call them back to the Savior. To walk again in the position that they were called to. So tonight, our title is Be Set Apart. Be set apart for God. Be holy, God says, for God, our God is holy. And I thought about that this week for myself and for us as believers. Our propositional statement, because I have been forgiven and cleansed from all my sin, justified, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, my desire should be today and be growing every day to live and sin no more. And to honor God with my life. In parenthesis, below that propositional statement, I put a new life, lived a new way. Lived a new way. Paul wanted these folks to do that. They had, this, they had received this great gift of understanding of the gospel. In fact, he's talked about it many places in the first four chapters. Um, I was reading through some of that this week. He says in verse uh, 30 of chapter 1, he says, By his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So it's written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then later, we, we already talked about this, things that I have not seen and ear have not heard, the things which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, who have received this wisdom from God, this gospel, this understanding, this call of God that Christ was crucified for us. The God of glory, the Lord of glory, the Holy One of God came down and offered himself for us. Who would believe that picture? And who would understand that or buy into that? except for that God opened our mind to the wisdom from heaven. In fact, he talks about that right after that. He says, for to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received, received, Not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That's just a great, great theological point that we have received as a down payment. We have received as a helper. We have received as a teacher. We have received as the power from God, the spirit that lives within us, that will not leave us or forsake us. He is here with us walking every day. Says it right here. We've received the spirit, not of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. You see what it says? So it doesn't say so that we know, so that we may know. Let's continue to learn, folks. Let's continue to read our Bibles. Let's continue to ask the spirit that's been given to us, that lives within us, to teach us. Let's, let's continue to do that so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, the things of the gospel, the, the things that lay before us so that we live differently now, today. 
Uh, we speak of these things in words not taught by man's wisdom, but by those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. The natural man doesn't understand these, but we do because we have been enlightened by God. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will, inst- that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We have been changed from the inside out, folks. Change to live differently than the world lives. Change to, to live to the glory of God. Paul's been talking about divisions and the unity that wasn't there. He wants them to serve Christ with a sincere heart. He wants to, to grab hold of the wisdom of God and continue to learn and to grow the things that are not from the world, the things that are from God, that they have received freely, these things from God. Um, we're going to read through this and make a few comments in um, this chapter 5. Um, and look at the problem. We're going to look at three points. The cause for rebuke. Um, the cancer. The cancer of sin. And how it spreads in our lives and in the church. And then the cure. Uh, because... We are made right. We are to do what's right in the Lord's sight. We'll begin with verse 1. Here's the, the cause for the rebuke. And he's writing about an actual problem. He says, it is actually reported that there is immorality. That word immorality is porneo in the Greek. It means um, we get the word pornography from it. A sexual sin. Uh, actually, probably a sin of incest. Um, and he's talking about that. He says, it's actually reported. It's it's out on the streets. It's reported to me, and I'm sure the community knows this. They lived in a city that was um, immoral, that did all kinds of things. Maybe many of, these, many of these believers came out of that system, came out of idol worship, came out of that system that was there before. It's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, muscle memory, if you want to think about it that way. We just got a new refrigerator a few weeks ago, and... Our old refrigerator, you could just open it up and give the door a little push and it'd close automatically. This one doesn't do that. Helen still happened to, when it starts beeping, say, you didn't close me, you didn't close me, you didn't close me. We just think it's going to close by itself. Muscle memory just gives it a push and we walk away. And then it reminds you with that beep that, hey, I'm not closed. But muscle memory wants to continue to do that. Old nature is kind of like sin memory. The old nature is kind of like sin memory. It's still there. That old nature is still there. And we remember the things of before. And sometimes when we're tempted and sometimes we still choose to go back to that old memory. But the new nature, the new nature, the nature that God has placed within us, we, we have to nurture that. We have to read God's word. There's, there's a dedication. There's, a, there's a, a diligence. There's a, what's the word I want to use? There's a... Being faithful to read God's word and to pray. God helps us along and God's spirit works within us. But we have a part too. We need to be responsible to that. So we have to choose every day. We'll be, we have choices every day. Choose today to follow your new nature. But he says here, it's actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. Now, this is uh, probably either his wife was gone or 
they had divorced or whatever the case was. He doesn't tell us that. This was probably his stepmother. We don't know if his father was still alive, but we know from the Old Testament that this was forbidden by God and even forbidden by the society that they lived in. He said, this is a kind of immorality that even the Gentiles would say, that's not right. That's not right. And Paul would say also, too, that is not right, especially amongst the church. Sin in the church as a professing believer is wrong. And if this man is professing to be a believer, a part of the church, that's why he's writing and rebuking them about this. This should not be. This should not be this way. This sin is uh, wrong. And he's going to go on. You know, there's a greater sin here, too. It wasn't just this man. He wanted to to deal with this man. It probably wasn't him. The wife maybe even wasn't a part of the church because he doesn't mention her in the rebuke, just the man. But the greater sin, maybe not the greater sin, but the sin also was of the church to just not deal with it, to just let it go. And well, just to look the other way or whatever they were doing and to not deal with that. Paul was zealous for the holiness of the church and the holiness of God and the 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 name of God, and he wanted this thing corrected. He wanted them to know that this was not right. In fact, he says again in verse 2, and this is uh, part of the rebuke, he says, you have become arrogant. We know what that word means. You you have become puffed up, Um, prideful of that, um, that that's taking place, and you're not really going to deal with it. You've become puffed up. Um, You know what we hear today? But this is 2023. Those were old standards. You know, I would point people to God's word and say, you know, God was the same in the Old Testament as the same in the New Testament. We serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and holiness is still the standard. And living a life that is honoring and pleasing to God is still the standard. And maybe they said something like that. We hear that today. I uh, I was at therapy a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to my therapist and she was asking me about my Sunday school lesson and we were talking about that a little bit and then the next week she was talking about her friend and they were they had finally got engaged. They could finally move in together. The standard hasn't changed for God. Marriage is sacred and the marriage bed is undefiled. Outside of that is fornication. Standard is God, not man's wisdom and not man's idea, no matter what year it is, 2023 or 1923 or 1823 or the year 23. God's standard is the same. He says, this thing is not even, not even allowed amongst the Gentiles. You've become arrogant and you have not mourned. He's talking about the church here. You have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. Removed from your midst. It has to be It has to be dealt with. And this isn't just, we'll see in a minute here, this isn't just one person dealing with one person. In fact, Jesus has talked about this. The standard is if a brother sins, go to him. Talk to him about that. Admonish him to repent of his sins and rejoin the fellowship. And if he won't listen to you, take someone else. And if they won't listen to both of you, bring it before the church. And it's not that we're going to gossip about it. It's not that we're going to say, oh, my, that is, I would never, or really, 
We all have a sin nature. We all have muscle memory. And we are, except for the grace of God, there go I. And so they were to bring it before the church, and the church has not mourned. They have not, they have not dealt with it. And so Paul says this for, in verse 3, for I, on my part. And so Paul says, basically, I stand apart. I stand separate. I am going to deal with this, and I'm going to talk to you about dealing with this. So he says, For I, on my part, though absent in the body, but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. As though I were present. Paul's not saying, I'm thinking about you. I'm sending good thoughts to you. He's saying, in the spirit of the Lord Jesus, who am I serve as a bondservant, who I serve faithfully. And everywhere I go, he's talked about that. I preach the gospel, the gospel plain and simple. And I want to know nothing more than Christ crucified in your lives. Have you trusted him? And are you living a life that's pleasing to him? Are you growing in your faith? Is the church a place of refuge for those that are believers to grow and be built up in the faith? Is that a place for the community to come and say, you know what? They're there living differently, and I want to know what they're saying. I want to hear this gospel message. Is that what you're doing? No, that's what they're, not what they're doing. And he says, I, I'm not with you in body, but in the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've already judged him who has committed this as though I were present. So he said, I want you to judge him in this spirit, which I am there Beside you in spirit, even though I'm not in body, I agree with what should be done. And I want you to agree with me that this is what should be done in the name of our Lord Jesus. When you are assembled, here is the whole assembly. He's not saying go and take him to task. He's saying when you are assembled, when the church comes together, when there are lots of witnesses and we deal with this together, the body should be unified. He's talked about that. We should be in agreement on how we serve the Lord. We're not going to throw someone out. You know, there were some who said they would excommunicate or shun. You know, in those days, they would even, there was reports that they would, in shunning them, they would deny them food and water. Just punish them for sinning. That's not of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in restoration and bringing one back, of coming alongside and dealing with this And looking at the scriptures and saying, let's go and see what God would have us do. God would have us live holy lives. God would have us live a life that's pleasing to him. So he said, when you're assembled together, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, with the the power of Christ, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Boy, you can read a lot about that. What does he mean by destruction? There's all kinds of scenarios. Does he mean that he's given him over to, to Satan, giving him into his hands so that Satan can deal with him? You know, Peter says Satan's roaming around this world like a lion, looking who he may devour. Some commentators say, you know, he's, he's actually just given up on him. Some say that he's going to, to die prematurely. I don't agree with that at all because he's going to die exactly when God has him going to die because God's sovereign over all things. And that day has been appointed before the foundation of the world that our days are numbered. So let's think scripturally. The old nature, flesh, 
I think, I think what he's talking about here is he's giving him over to Satan and to the things of the flesh so that that fleshly desires, his old nature will be dealt with. It may be suffering. We know later he's going to talk about those within the church who are abusing the community, the communion table. Some have fallen asleep. But, you know, that's not our call. You know whose call that is? God's. And so we in a spirit of love and wanting to restore Paul, I think this sounds harsh. We're going to give him over to the Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Maybe his the carnality of his living, that fleshly desire, it may mean that. And I'm not going to stand on that dogmatically, but I think that's a good explanation so that his soul would be saved. I'm going to give him over to the world's desires and and the, the wisdom of the world until he learns. Maybe he'll wake up like that prodigal son who left and took the inheritance that Jesus talked about. And then one day he said, what am I doing here? I had I have people who love me back there. I have people who pray for me back there. I have people who are still praying for me despite my sin. And so he gave him over to whatever that means, not to be hurt, not to be killed. I think Paul's heart still is here. What? He wants him to understand and to still walk a life that would lead to his ultimate salvation, the salvation of his soul. It's a, it's a, hard, it's a hard verse to interpret. And there's all kinds of stuff out there that you could, you could talk about, and we could debate that. The bottom line, though, is that Paul has decided to deliver him over to such a one as Satan for the destruction of whatever it might be, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus when he returns. Maybe he'll return. In fact, there's some hints later in Corinthians that this man did return. I think it's in 2 Corinthians uh, that hints at that, that he may have returned. Um, so this cancer is our second point, the sin of of life. It says your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? And that's the real problem of letting that allow in the church. We see that in our society today. Don't we? In the world's wisdom, something happens and we don't stand up, especially as the church and say that's not right, and then a new law is made, and, and children suffer, and homes suffer, and marriages suffer, and children's sexuality suffers, and the cancer grows and grows in our world today. Because what? Because we started here with a little sin, and we didn't deal with it. And we let it go, and we looked over that, and we let it go by. It's no different within the church. He says, don't you know... Don't you know your boasting's not good? Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you, in fact, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So this cancer of sin will grow. Arrogance. He talked about that, this, this, their, their arrogance is not good and, and their boasting is not good. It leads to indifference. It leads to pride. It leads to, to wanting this because someone else has it and I want it because they have it and I don't have it. Whatever it might lead to, it grows and grows. 
and the cancer goes. We see that in, I was reading a few weeks ago, do you know that the Ivy League, most of those schools were seminaries at one time? They were seminaries. And now they're, and now they're higher learning of foolishness. Why? I think it started with a little bit. And that cancer grew and the leaven grew and it infested the whole campus. And it's changed it completely. But he says, don't let that happen. Clean out the old leaven. Repent of your sins. Clean out those things that are and start with a new lump, an unleavened lump, which in fact you are for Christ our Passover has also been sacrificed. And so we could go back to Romans chapter 6. And it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that you have all been baptized into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism in death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead... Through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, how? In newness of life, a holy life. And he says, why should you live a different way? Well, you already are that. In fact, you are unleavened. Why are you unleavened? Because Christ was crucified for you. So live what you are. Realize that. Wake up to that fact that you are, in fact, changed for Christ is our Passover. And this isn't a change. You know, they celebrated the Passover feast once a year, the Day of Atonement. They sacrificed the the lamb and they did it year after year. But Christ was that perfect lamb of God. And so since we have trusted in him and we have the spirit, this is to not be a once a year thing. This is to be a lifetime living it daily. Not just when you're here in this building, but when you walk out that door, you are a child of God. And we live, or we should live differently than the world. Holy life. Live for Christ's glory. Because we are, in fact, unleavened. Why are we unleavened? It says it right here. Because our Passover lamb has been crucified for us. Sacrificed for us. Shall we continue in sin? May it never be. Don't let the cancer grow. You know, there's, there's all kinds of fundraisers these days to defeat cancer. I don't think they're going to do it. And there's all kinds of man's wisdom and religion and options to defeat sin. And I know they're not going to do it. Because the only power that can defeat sin is a sacrificed Savior and a risen Savior. And we serve him. You are unleavened. You have been declared. Your lips have been touched. You are declared what? Forgiven. You are indeed unleavened. Why are we unleavened? Because our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or of wickedness or or sin in our midst, but with unleavened bread. And sincerity and truth, a lifelong feast of living for God and living a holy life that grows and grows in sanctification closer to the image of Christ our Savior. Let's live that life because he was crucified for us 
And that life should be both now, tomorrow, the next day, and the next day until we see God in glory. And then we'll be made like him. The body of Christ should be holy. The cancer should not grow. Ministry is ruined as the cancer grows. Our testimony is ruined not only personally but in our community. And God's name is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, amongst the unbelievers. That should bother us. The church should have been bothered by this. And they weren't. And that was a sin too. And Paul was calling them to task to, to stand up and to deal with this. To deal with it correctly, scripturally. To deal with it in, in light of love for this brother that has sinned. But he, he wants them to do that. He wants them to stand up and deal with this. And live the truth of who they are. And what Christ has done for them. And to live that life continually. And he says, I did not mean... I did not mean at all I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with the covenantists or swindlers or with idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world. I think Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, "Lord, I'm leaving and I'm not taking them with me. They're going to stay here in the world." Man's wisdom is we're looking for a new planet right now to get to. But he says he says, "No." He said, "I never wrote before some letter Many commentators are not sure if what letter that was. It, it's not in Scripture. He probably wrote to them different letters of instruction about specific questions. And one might have been, well, then we should just lock the doors and stay inside and be holy, right? That's called a monk, by the way. And that's a lot of monkery to live the rest of your life that way. No, he says, I didn't mean that. Because if, they, if I meant that, then you'd have to be taken out of this world or go to another planet They are the field of the people that need the gospel message. So he didn't say that go out of this world and lock the doors or stay away from the the people that are sinners. I didn't write that, he says, to not associate with those immoral persons or covetous or idolaters or revilers or drunkards or swindlers, not even to eat with such a one. He never said that. You know, that's what they accused Jesus of. You know you're eating with sinners, right? You know, you know what these people are like that you're associating with, right? Well, he came for them. Jesus came for sinners like you and me. Aren't you glad he did? He came for sinners. He said, I didn't write that you would not associate with them. If, it, if I would have, maybe he wrote another letter that said, spend a little more time with them and share the gospel. We're going to have an opportunity to do that in a, a week or so. You know, and I, I've been down there. I, I love doing that. But it's also a little sad because you see people walking by there aimlessly lost. Not just, not just lost. They don't know where home is, but they're, they're lost. And there's no joy in their life. There's no hope in their life. They're just walking by. This is another day. I'll look what's in the tent. And just pray this week for divine encounters amongst the idolaters and amongst the swindlers and amongst the the sinners out there. Because that's where we should be. Paul said, I never wrote that you shouldn't associate with them. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? You know who's going to do that? God will do that. God is the judge. God is the only one that judges fairly. But do you not judge those who are within the church? Yes, you should. And so the cure is to stand up and do what's right. Because we are made right by God. We are holy 
and we are unleavened and we have been changed because of a crucified and a risen Savior. But those who are outside, God judges. But do this, remove the wicked man from amongst yourself. You could go to the Old Testament. It says many times, he said to the people of Israel, remove the wicked from amongst you. God's standard hasn't changed. I want to finish with a, a passage from 1 Peter. From 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Peter had the same heart. We'll begin with verse uh, 13. Therefore, it says in 1 Peter 1, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which you were in, which you were yours in ignorance. Don't go to that muscle memory of your old nature. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also. What? Some of the time? On Sundays? At church? In your seat? No. It says... Be holy in all your behavior. Every day, be holy. All the time. Because it is written, you shall be holy. For I, I the Lord God, am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to one's, each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. And I think, I think John wrote in this, it was the first epistle of John, you know what he said? Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. God loves you. And he wants you to, he, he wants the best for you. And you know what the best life for you is right now? Stay close to Jesus and walk with him every day. Each man's work will, will be judged. Conduct yourselves in fear during your time on the stay on the earth, knowing that you were not redeemed you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. God uses, we read that early in Revelation. God uses that for building material in heaven. Things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. We have been redeemed by him, for him. For he who was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him we are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are where? Are in God. Since you have in the obedience and truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. What did, what did he say in Corinthians? With sincerity of heart. Without malice, for we have been born again, not of the seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and enduring word of God. All flesh like grass is like grass, and all is glory. All is glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall off, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So let's live a holy life. Pleasing to God in all things, at all times, all behavior, because we follow Christ and we follow the word of God. Paul wanted that for the Corinthian believers. He didn't want that sin and that cancer to grow and ruin that church. He wanted that church to, to turn around 
he wanted that church to be a beacon in the community. And I think we can be that too. And we are that. We need to continue that way. We need to be careful. We need to watch and be aware. We need to deal with those things and not let the little things go. We need to live a life that's holy and right before God, according to God's word, whose standard never changes. Despite what the world says, it doesn't. He is the standard, not man. He is the center. He is the center of the universe. He is the center of all things. He should be the center of our very lives. Live a life that's pleasing to him in all things. Father in heaven, we thank you for this tonight and for your word and for what you mean to us. Lord, thank you for calling us to yourself and changing us. Thank you for the righteousness that we have received as a gift. The holiness that is you, we, we look forward to seeing, but we, are, we have been changed already. And we are continuing to change, growing in our faith. Help us to do that. Help us to live a life that's pleasing to you in all things. And let us continue to strive, not toward man's standard, but let us strive toward the holiness of God. For it's in your name we pray these things tonight. Amen and amen.